Welcome to the Question Community Broadcast. The Question is a new disruptive community that provides a gathering place for those who wonder about our complex selves, our complex world, our complex universe. We are a non-religious and inclusive community that explores the many questions surrounding truth in order to encourage you on the important journey to find your own answers. The Question Community gathers every third Sunday evening at Redbush Tea and Coffee Company in the Kensington neighborhood of Calgary, starting at 7. Information on the community is available at our website, www.thequestion.ca. You can also join the community online at our Facebook page, which is The Question, and on Twitter, at TQCom, with two M's. You're now going to hear some highlights from our community gathering, where the question is asked through original arts and music, as well as thought-provoking presentations. This is Frederick Tamagi. Opening the window between science and myth can also bring new clarity about the importance of engaging the question of mystery. Our modern attitudes often make it difficult to engage myth. But when thinkers engage myth as mystery, they cease to be judges. Ancient myths are basically portraits of the imagination and experience of our ancestors. The story of scientific discovery that I just shared illustrates the potential benefits of resisting the reflex to judge, or to judge our ancestors for the supposed ignorance or backwardness. This reflex to judge is why calling something a myth today is virtually synonymous with calling something stupid. By postponing judgment and engaging myth as mystery, we open up an exchange of perspective with our ancestors. And notwithstanding the benefits of our overwhelming technological advantage, thoughtfully engaging myth enables us to see that our ancestors' perspective on the extraordinary events of history, while undoubtedly imaginative and sometimes incorrect, are not stupid. Let me share a really great illustration of how opening the window can illuminate science and myth and expand the horizons of truth on both sides of the window. It's a brief story about this famous guy, Mr. Cyclops. The Cyclops is a prominent character of ancient Greek mythology and has even become a popular contemporary in movies and comic books. There are various myths of the Cyclops, all slightly different depending on source and culture. But for our purposes, here's the Coles Notes version of the myth. The Cyclops was a member of a primordial race of giants, giants with a single eye in the middle of their forehead. In ancient Greek, the word Cyclops literally means circle-eyed or round-eyed. The Cyclops were sons of the Greek god Poseidon and are described as herdsmen and blacksmiths possessing brute strength and very angry dispositions. In some mythical accounts, Cyclops blacksmiths are responsible for forging Zeus's thunderbolt, Poseidon's trident, Apollo's bow and arrow, and many other famous weapons of the gods. In Homer's other epic poem, The Odyssey, the main character, Odysseus, encounters a giant Cyclops after landing on an unknown island as he returned from the siege of Troy. This unknown island has been variously identified with the Mediterranean islands of Cyprus, Crete, Malta, and Sicily. Now, throughout the centuries, even to this very day, the ancient myth of the Cyclops has endured. But today, it endures mostly as a cartoon-like fantasy for us. 
but a new collaboration of archaeomythology and medical archaeology, that's another new one, has provided a possible explanation as to how a fantastic myth like the Cyclops can be at once unbelievable, but still have a foundation in historical reality and even wisdom. Incorrect, but not stupid. The explanation begins with a very rare congenital birth defect called naturally cyclopia. Cyclopia describes a condition where a fetal subject, and I say subject because it's a condition that's present throughout the entire animal kingdom, where the subject fails to develop the proper separation between its orbital eye sockets and is born with only one large eye socket as well as, as other severe facial abnormalities. In humans, cyclopia actually occurs in approximately one out of every 100,000 pregnancies and usually ends in miscarriage, stillbirth, or in some cases, actual live birth, followed by a very, very shortened lifespan, usually less than one day. Cyclopia is a real-world medical condition, but if you didn't know about this birth defect, it's not a big surprise. Now, I've chosen to show only an image of a fetal skull with cyclopia because <clears throat> this is a horrible, horrible birth defect. Uh, and as a consequence of its very low incidence rate, 100% mortality rate, and the horrible yet understandable stigmatization of the defect, cyclopia is one of the world's most underreported conditions. But it is itself an unthinkable mythical disorder. It's the unfortunate stuff of formaldehyde-preserved lab specimens and freak shows. It's a tragedy beyond comprehension. But to our point about myth, medical archaeologists have estimated that when Homer wrote the Odyssey around 800 BC, the world's population was around 65 million people. The adjusted incidence rate of cyclopia suggests that there were about 50 cyclopic births in the entire ancient world uh, when Homer introduced the story of the Cyclops in the Odyssey. So it's not difficult to imagine that if even a few of these tragic births took place in ancient Greece, that the seeds of a myth might have been birthed as well. But due to the zero survival rate of infants born with cyclopia, there's still a question as to how the deeper myth of a race of giants could have been inspired from this extremely rare and always fatal birth defect. In 1836, a very large skull fossil was discovered in Germany. You can see that this particular skull had very unique characteristics, not the least of which is the large single opening in what appears to be the forehead of the ancient creature. You can see where I'm going with this. In the absence of a complete skeleton, paleontologists attempted to estimate the overall size of the creature from the dimensions of the skull and concluded that if the head was of average proportion, it would likely sit up atop a very large frame that would be over 12 feet in height. Oh my gosh. Okay, it turns out that the skull along with other skeleton parts that were eventually uncovered, uh, belonged to a large elephant-like mammal called 
Deinotherium gigantium means terrible beast that lived in Europe and parts of Africa around 9 million years ago. So not a giant cyclops after all. Uh, but very recently, fossil evidence of this very same animal has been uncovered on the island of Crete, which might be the unknown island mentioned in the Odyssey. The fossil discovery included an almost complete skeleton with the mythical skull intact. So, due to the very real medical phenomena of cyclopia, archaeomythology can now suggest a pretty convincing theory of how the myth of the cyclops might have started with whispers of a tragic birth defect. This theory validates even more when we consider that ancient Mediterranean peoples, perhaps living on or visiting the island of Crete, might have stumbled on actual fossil evidence of mythical giants. Not necessarily a stupid proposition if one doesn't have the benefit of 3,000 years of scientific uh, progress supporting them, right? What do we imagine Homer's literary inspiration could have been if he had heard these whispers of abnormal birth and tragedy? Did stories of giant skulls with a single eye socket found on the island of Crete stir his poetic vision for the Odyssey? Is there now a way to understand that to the ancient Greeks, the Cyclops was not necessarily so mythical? This is Tony Vare. This is my soul right here, this song. This is my soul.
Okay, there are many, many more interesting stories of science and myth examining one another through the open window. And there are many more interesting questions about the nature of truth uh, that's made possible by just allowing light to flow from either side of the window. Now, I've mentioned the modern iteration of the term myth and how it's quietly become synonymous with ignorance, backwardness, nonsense, and yes, even stupidity. And yet, over the last few months, we've gathered here and considered our own questions about the window between science and myth and the light between reason and inspiration. Last October, for example, we shared this strange mythic vision. A group of mysterious dancing particles that gradually formed into the image of a serpent consuming its own tail. This strange mythic vision was experienced in 1865 by the German scientist August Kuhl, the father of modern organic chemistry. He publicly credited this glimpse through the window as the inspiration for his groundbreaking model of the benzene molecule, which became the acknowledged key to the whole mystery of chemical structure. We also shared uh, the myth of a blind eight-year-old girl considered to be a mental and physical inferior who heard a disembodied voice calling to her with the exact time of day in hours, minutes, and seconds. 
This very young disabled girl had never seen a clock, nor had ever had the mathematics of time explained to her. But for a few minutes, she listened intently to the voice. The young girl was so captivated by the mysterious voice that she herself began sharing this gift of time and began to call at the time of day. Even when the voice became silent and the young girl began sharing this new miracle of time with others around her. You should know that this myth is the actual story of Ellen Boudreaux, blind, autistic, and partially disabled. She is now 63 years old, and to this very day, she can still tell you the exact time of day to the minute and second without the benefit of any clock other than the gift of time that was shared with her over 50 years earlier. And the disembodied voice was the gentle pre-recorded voice of the telephone company's time service. And last month, we shared the mythic dream of another clock. Its calibrated faces spinning both vertically and horizontally on a shared axis, carried on the back of a giant black bird and surrounded by a vast golden ring. It was the dream of a brave but disturbed explorer who sought an interpretation from an equally brave and wise older sage who told the explorer that the clock was a way to understand the universe of men and God. The brave explorer was the Nobel Prize winning quantum physicist Wolfgang Pauli, and the wise sage was the legendary psychologist Carl Jung. Pauli's famous dream of the world clock became a guiding image in his quantum theories of space-time, now being observed in the incredible gravitational behavior of black holes. You'll just have to imagine it. This amazing true myth continued as Pauli's world clock vision provided the wise sage Carl Jung with his long sought after answer as to how synchronicity worked in the human universe. Now, if I had more time tonight, I'd share stories of the intriguing geomythology of the Great Flood, uh, or the provocative archaeoastronomy of the Star of Bethlehem, or the amazing science fiction mythology of the 5,000-year-old Hindu Vedic texts. In the future, I might just share some of those stories, but not tonight. The benefit of opening the window between science and myth is to allow all the generations to inform one another. By refusing to write off the observations, experiences, and imagination of the ages as merely ignorant, backward, or even stupid, we open up the possibility of discovering something brand new from sources that we've too easily branded as old and irrelevant. We can go from just believing everything on our side of the window and believing nothing on the other side to exploring the possibilities that just looking through the window might bring. If we're motivated to explore these possibilities, we don't have to accept myth as pure fact. We simply have to be willing to engage myth as a kind of imaginative expression of fact. I think this is the reason that scientists are increasingly investigating myth as new alternative sources for the very facts that fuel science. Put another way, it's quite remarkable that these multiple fields of science are increasingly more open to the possibilities of myth in their search for truth. We have those very same possibilities open to us, as well as the very same search beckoning us. So, whether you're an unapologetic skeptic, cynic, atheist, agnostic, religious believer, or none of the above, can you privately admit to wrestling with the unexplainable?
with the mystery of why? In the light of the stories that we shared tonight, can you see that opening the window between science and myth is not an act of disregarding reason or rejecting truth? Instead, can you see that opening the window is really an act of embracing a mystery in the search for truth? Albert Einstein said that imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited, but imagination encircles the world. Myth is not necessarily truth, but it most certainly is imagination. By engaging the imagination of myth, we embrace mystery. And if you'll allow me to momentarily channel a very famous archaeologist, can I say that a mystery embraced and then excavated often becomes a truth uncovered? Thanks for being so patient with me tonight. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in joining the Question community, we meet every third Sunday evening at Redbush Tea and Coffee Company in the Kensington neighborhood of Calgary starting at 7. You can participate in the online discussion on our Facebook page, which is The Question, or on Twitter at TQCom. That's at T-Q-C-O-M-M. Our website is www.thequestion.ca. Thanks again for listening, and remember that our answers are only possible because of our questions.